David Pryor. Welcome to the Reluctant Agilist. Gil Bros is back. He hasn't been here in a while, uh-huh. not since before the pandemic. So, Gil, how have you been? I've been okay. I've been okay. Lots of changes because of the pandemic. Uh, yeah. But, um, still excited to help companies work better and be better. All right. So, Gil's up in Canada. Yes. I'm saying up because I'm in New York. And um, the company's called 3P Advantage. Gil's written a bunch of books. Um, and created a bunch of tools. And other than that, the work you're doing is like coaching and teaching and things like that, right? Yes. So with a typical organization, um, they'll have some way of working that's not, it's not quite working out. And I'll help them okay. with, you know, strategically mapping the journey forward, uh, some training, conversations with people who need to kind of be brought along. Um, coaching. I work mostly with leaders these days, right? So I still work with teams, but not as much and not as frequently. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, and when we've done interviews in the past, we've talked about, you know, the human side Mm -hmm. of agile, because you have a book on that, uh, your book on, um, non-software teams, how do you apply agile there? Mm -hmm. Um, but the tool that we're going to talk about today seems like it presents sort of a shift in your focus. It isn't, it isn't. So I'll, I'll give you a bit of background about that. Uh, what I've noticed is that in a lot of organizations, they try to make improvements, but they make them localized. Engineering looks after itself, product looks after yep. itself, design looks after itself, and so on. But we know it's a system. No part can succeed without the others. Um, and when you make local improvements, they don't necessarily create global improvements. So this whole concept of what what I refer to as product development, this whole stretch from idea to delivery, all the activities in an organization, that needs help that is holistic. Now, I've worked in Agile for 20 odd years. Um, Agile addresses that, right? We talk about cross-functionality, we build a culture, uh, we collaborate across roles and so on. Uh, We do this at the team level, we do this at the program level, and in many companies, they do it at the higher level as well. But still, there is is a ton of local optimization going on. Okay. And even in organizations that are really good about, you know, solving the way of working problem, you still see, you know, a head of engineering improving things in engineering and a head of product improving yeah. things in product, but they don't collaborate. I mean, they talk to each other and they keep each other informed, but they don't entirely collaborate on how are we making systemic changes? So for instance, okay. in agile, we talk about psychological safety. I see this a lot in teams these days. It's a lot better than it used to be. Yeah. But still a developer might be perfectly safe talking to um, his or her own boss, but not talking to the PO. Sure. Well, so I want to I want to ask a question about this. Do you think that the the I I'll just stick with IT mm-hmm. within the IT space? It seems to me as though systems thinking is something that we've sort of been waking up to over the past, arguably five to ten years. But there's still a lot of people that you know, to your point, look at the world as the three feet around me instead of the entire mm-hmm. space that we live in. So yeah. I just fix my little box. It's all good. Yes. But don't think about the fact that me fixing my box screws the person down, down the line. So 
in some cases, it screws the person down the line. In other cases, it doesn't actually make much of a difference, right? So for okay. instance, maybe we can be faster and more efficient producing UX designs, right? Mm-hmm. But if then they, they just sit there on a shelf and don't get implemented, or they get done without consideration for um, implementation challenges, for testing, for maintenance, for user training, and all, all mm-hmm. of that, have we really improved? Okay. So, so yeah. not just mm-hmm. have I improved locally, but what is it? how does it impact the rest of the environment in which I'm working? Yes. So there, there's two things to think about there. One is how does it impact the other people I work with? But then mm-hmm. what does it do to our capabilities as a product development organization? And again, product okay. development is the whole gamut from idea to delivery. So how does it impact our overall throughput, how we achieve outcomes, how we okay. deliver stuff that matters in a timely fashion? Are we being cost efficient about it? All those questions are system questions. Now, when we say system thinking, you've used the term, you know, there's all sorts of tools and loops and, you know, vicious cycles and virtuous cycles and this and that. I don't even need my readers to go there. All I need. Okay. Yeah. That's good because system thinking is really it's hard. hard to get your head around. It is so in the hard. Beginning. But yeah. all, all we need people to realize is that their local choices <clears throat> have some global impact. And if we're interested in a good global impact, they should probably partner up with others across functions to think through their actions and kind of review what they're doing. That's the extent. So where does that initiative come from? Like if I'm somebody at a company and I hear what you're saying, I'm like, yes, I kind of get this. Um, and I and I agree we should be talking. If I'm an engineer mm-hmm. and I agree we should be talking with design and support and everybody else. Mm-hmm. Is there somebody in the org that it's like there's a racy chart somewhere <laughs> that says like you're the guy or you're the person? I shouldn't say that. Sorry, you're the person. That's actually part of the problem because okay. I mean, okay, let's think about other functions in the company that have a straightforward mm-hmm. name and a straightforward owner: sales, marketing, HR, right, uh, finance. All of them have. <laughs> But there's nobody whose job is to make it all work better. Right. Like, nobody has that time. Right. <laughs> Let's make our products better. Let's make better products and make them better. There's nobody yeah. in, in charge of this. Now, in some companies, there is. Even if you did have a person like that, they're usually pretty high up, unless it's a really tiny team, right? But they're really high up. They still need buy-in from their specialized mm-hmm. functions because they will have designers and the designers do things that are very different from what the engineers do and from what DevOps does and so on. So we want to, to improve how we get our work done in, in product again, all the way from start to finish so that we can serve the company better. Because when you think about it, what does the company need product development for? They, I mean, they kind of live and die by product in most cases these days. They need the product to be delivered in a timely fashion. They need it to actually make a difference. They need to not, you know, spend too much 
on it, and they needed to operate reliably. All of these are, uh, you can think of them as business effects. These are the effects of the product development system. And when I say system, I don't mean the product itself. It's like the whole set of activities and people and interactions in the company. And okay. I, I've been going down this road the last year or so because um, it's just not getting addressed. Okay. Again, we have agile teams someplace and whatever, and we talk back about collaboration and whatnot, but it's not happening quite as much. Why? Why are they not addressing it? I mean, is it is? Do they not? I'm listening to what you're saying, and I'm thinking of the goal. I was trying to look up Jacob's name because it seems like the company needs a Jacob, and um, but do they not see the problem? Are they not aware of it? I think that a couple things are going on. One is. There's this assumption that we've hired lots of smart people, we pay them lots, uh, they'll make it happen. That's one. Okay. That's one, which is yes. you know, which is a fair assumption, and in many cases it's true. Another is I think organizations are still not quite sure how to treat this beast of product development. They know how to deal with the pieces. Right, so I have a product right. management function. Okay, let's train them on uh, North Star metrics. And I have designers, let's do design thinking. And I have engineers, maybe they should do Dora metrics and so on. So, so we have little bits and pieces here and there. And we keep adding more to that stack of things you're supposed to be able to do. Yes, so part of the challenge, and I think I've contributed to it myself. If you look at the state of affairs now, at the end of 2022, there is so much good stuff available out there in terms of yeah. advice, strategies, suggestions, blogs, many books, churches to join, even without the religious aspect to you know to some of the advice. But you know, I mean, you've interviewed me for like since forever. Yeah. You know, I got into agile in the year two thousand. There was no advice to go on. I mean, there are like a few books nowadays. We have everything available to us, right? right. Just like in every walk of life, you just kind of ask the internet. Now we have the specialists, we have the employees with previous experience, we have everything going for us. And still, we're not entirely there yet. Now, you know, disclaimer, it, things are better than they were 10 years ago, but right. not universally across the board. So what I want to do is I want leaders in an organization to say, if we want to improve our product development, yeah, we have an easy way to tell what to do next okay. and how to sift through this pile of generally Ocean really good advice. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I want I want to ask you one more question before we yes. move on to that because the, the simplifying and making it more digestible I think is one of the big advantages of, of Square. But mm -hmm. um, with what you just said. It, it, it's got me wondering, is it actually better now? Like going back to like 2000, right? Mm -hmm. So you could read Extreme Programming mm -hmm. Explained and on like the design side, yeah. you could read the Jakob Nielsen book. Yes. Right? And that was it. Like watching people use your product was like, oh my God, what an amazing concept. <laughs> right. Um, and that was, it was simple to understand and common sense. But now there's this, volume of things you're supposed to be mm -hmm. 
aware of and conversing in and they all kind of overlap a little bit mm -hmm. and there's just so much to know i mean it's kind of the same thing with agile mm -hmm. is it actually better or is it just we had we had one knife and now we have ten thousand, but we have to pick the right one which actually applies in all walks of life nowadays doesn't it right you can't even yeah. buy anything without having to shop around for days right <laughs> yes the thing is I think we've become more aware of complexity and more aware of nuances and context, and that is why maybe having lots of knives actually makes sense. Having said that, we do need some strategies to deal with this, right? Yeah. Not just tools. So tools, practices, and such, we, we have plenty of. But the question of what do I do now now, the sort of the archetype I have in mind, and you know, I see this <laughs> everywhere. I don't know if you know this. Again, you know, you and I, we go back a while. I yeah. I've had more than a hundred clients so far, so okay. I see something happening all the time. The people in charge of product development are still not treated as equals to their peers yes. in, let's say, sales, marketing, and such. Okay, yep. not only that, or, or engineering. What do you mean? Well, you, they're not treated as as high up as or the voices of other areas. And I would yeah. say in a lot of cases, it's the same as marketing. In the same way that there's many organizations that will uh, hire a scrum master, but give the product owner role to somebody who's already working like 80 hours a week. Mm. Yeah. So you, you have product and, and you have engineering. And sometimes, again, it could, I've seen cases where it was led by the same person, but still, so they're not treated the same as the others. Um, mm -hmm. In some cases, it's still the cost center mentality. And in mm -hmm. other, and in most cases, they're always doing stuff wrong. Why are you late? Why is this thing not ready? Why can't I get <laughs> a straight Why did they not buy it? Hmm? Yeah. <laughs> why did they not buy it? Well, that's another thing. But, um, you know, why can't you do this one more thing? Why... Why won't your people give me a straight answer about you? When will this be done? You know, all of those questions, yeah. right? So so in a way, they're, um, it's really hard for them to be successful and to be seen okay. as equals. And again, I think part of the problem is that we're trying to solve things piecemeal. So for instance, I, I've seen organizations where, you know, the, the head of engineering was constantly being beat up on. So all the guy can do is, you know, improve engineering. But if fundamentally they, you know, his people have just way too much to do. So the whole whip and content switching and this yeah. kills them. Um, if what product tells them doesn't even collaborate, but if product tells them to build stuff that doesn't matter, they're kind of stuck with that. Mm -hmm. So you can improve engineering all you want. You can do continuous delivery all you want. It won't matter. Right. So that's part of what I'm trying to solve here, that okay. in an organization, we can, we can do products better, but it cannot be through only localized changes. So what, what I've developed is this you know, model of you know, how to think about it you know, over time. Um, it's very much about <clears throat> strategies. Then you have to implement them, and some of the strategies will touch, you know, the whole, you know, let's call it value stream, and some will not, and and you will still need to make 
some local improvements, of course, but it's all, you know, with the perspective of how are we making things globally better? Okay. So this is going to help you figure out where to aim. Yes. Okay. So I'll give you an example there. So this model, you, you mentioned the name, it's called Square, just because it's an acronym, really. And, um, okay. and one thing it describes is that there are really 10 main strategies to optimize product development. If you start from scratch all the way to you know amazing product development, there are really 10 main things you need to do. Okay. You don't need to do them all at the same time from the get-go. You do a couple, then you level up. Then you do another couple, and you level up, and so on. Right, so it, it okay. reduces the overwhelm. So one of the messages is, you know, don't try to make everything happen at the same time. So for instance, if you happen to be at a level one, right? So the lowest level of what I really refer to as fitness for purpose. Okay. What will help you get to level two? Is it to you know, deal with tech debt? Is it to get people to collaborate? Is it to have a great Scrum implementation? Is it um, to establish psychological safety? And the answer is actually none of the above. If you're at the level one, which is like really basic, things are really not working well at all. Like what's an example of level one? In a level one, nothing is really good. You know, the, the, the teams such as they are, they're always behind. Nobody is ever happy. Uh, products are always late. It looks like you know you're just wasting time. Everything takes forever, uh, and so on. Okay. Okay. Things are uh, let's call it relatively broken, right? I was going to say I'm thinking of a lot of my clients where we would just call this normal. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. <laughs> But it's a level one fitness. It's like, you know, if, if my intent for fitness, my purpose, let's say it's to run a marathon, my level one is yeah. I can walk for 20 minutes and not get winded. Yeah. Okay. I am in no shape to run a marathon, but at least I can walk 20 right. minutes without getting winded. So if you're yeah. at the level one, one of the two strategies that are needed to help you get to level two is actually to manage the project portfolio and, and feed less work into the teams. In other words, reduce the overwhelm so that they can at least finish stuff that they started and, and at least can have some success. Sure. Okay. Another, the other um, strategy is really to organize in a way that makes sense for what you're trying to accomplish. And if what you're trying to accomplish is, let's say, you know, adaptation, then an agile way yeah. of working kind of makes sense. But if what you're trying to accomplish is... Um, you know, we 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 have we want to make commitments and meet them, and that's it, on time, on budget. Then maybe something not entirely like agile would make more sense. So that's I think that's a really important point that a lot of organizations don't take the time to think about is like why do we want to introduce this change in the first place mm -hmm. if it's agile transform? Like like what is what ailment is this going to fix? They just want it because they want it. And for other reasons, like, you know, everybody's doing it and, you know, the world is VUCA right. and, you know, this and that. And, um, and, and, you know, for many, many situations, Agile is a totally suitable 
operating model that you know you'll want to follow and it makes sense. However, you don't want to jump straight there. Like I'm sure you've seen this yourself. You can establish you know scrum teams, okay. However, if the teams have a deluge of work to deal with, yeah, they're not going to do if anything you- useful sprint wise. Uh, their product owner is going to basically kill themselves with stress. Um, and you're not really going to get any you know, good outcome out of that. You're going to get busyness. Yeah, yeah. But that you need an environment that can support the use of these practices to deliver better stuff. Yes. And so you know, when you're at the level one, one way to have this environment is first off, you structure accordingly. And, and the other thing is you actively limit how many things people have going on at the same time. That's the only way they can kind of climb out of the mess. Okay, which which sounds like common sense. Hearing you say it, like, yes, obviously, but there's so many companies that are just like, no, we need to do more. Well, um, they, it's a habit. They it's a habit or an addiction that they have not figured out how to free themselves from. Fair enough. Look, I'm not saying it's going to be necessarily easy. But what is useful and important is to know that there are some things you you need to bother with right now and some things that you don't. Yeah. Okay. So this is the tool is going to help you pick the battles you need to fight now. Exactly. Yes. Okay. I'll give you another one. Um, Okay. In Agile, we, we talk a lot. And again, I've contributed to this. We talk a lot about, you know, collaborative teams and psychological mm-hmm. safety and you know and a lot of team empowerment this is great stuff when you're still at the level one and sometimes level two it's actually premature i mean if you want to empower okay. your teams go for it however what's more important when you're at level two is to stabilize supply and demand okay, okay. that's kind of like kanban thinking but scrum does it you know the scrum way um sure if you do waterfall, it's project management with capacity and, and critical path. It doesn't matter. But the point okay. is, you, you have to stabilize the system to get some sort of regularity. So you have, you know, you ask people to do stuff. You have some certainty that it will come you let out. Let them do it, yeah, and you let them do it, and it will come out. Yeah. At, you know, some, you know, reasonable amount of time. Now, if you want to use empowerment for that, that's great. But I think it will also be more practical to do more of the, you know, the safety and collaboration when people think that they're generally on top of things and not scrambling all the time and therefore also having to worry about themselves. Okay. So, you know, everything we've, we've been saying, you know, it's good stuff that applies like, you know, so I wrote the book, you know, the human side of agile, you you can apply all of this, but maybe not all of it from the get-go. Besides being overwhelming okay. and hard. <laughs> yeah. But so that whole thing about local locally optimizing, this gives. I mean, you, you, we're taking maybe taking that away, or but we're replacing it with an abil- an ability to stay like hyper focused on let's fix this thing. Mm-hmm. And see what it does to everything else, and then we'll go find the next thing. To fix. Yes. Yes. Okay. So this this tool w- will help you kind of focus your attention, so you don't need to reinvent the wheel, and yeah. and you also don't necessarily need to second guess yourself, right? Okay. Now, 
Once you use this and you focus your attention, now you can look closer in, whether an outsider helps you or you do it yourself, you look closer right. in and you say, all right, well, given our particular context, situation, people, business landscape, this and that, we should implement the strategy here like this as opposed to there like that. Okay. So how does it, I'm curious about how it works and, and like, how do you measure and figure out what level you're at? How do you figure out, once you know what level you're mm -hmm. at, where you need to aim next? Can you, can you kind of walk it through an example of that? Yes. And so maybe at this point, we'll also tell the listeners where they can see this so they can also follow it for themselves. <laughs> yes. There, so there, yeah, there will be links in the show notes and everything like yes. that pointing directly to the site. Yes. Yep. So once you decide which system you're improving, like what's in scope, right? Again, mm -hmm. it, it, in most, let's say, tech organizations, we're looking at, you know, product design, engineering, delivery. Uh, if you're IT, it's fairly similar. Then what you do is you write six aspects. You don't need metrics. That's one thing I really like okay. about this model. Uh, there are six aspects. They will probably sound familiar to, to our listeners, but maybe not so much putting them all together the way I did and how you rate them. Okay. So one aspect is uh, throughput, which is simply the extent of usable working product delivered in short spans of time. The other one is to what extent does the system achieve valuable user and business outcomes? which is, you know, solving problems and addressing needs mm -hmm. and achieving goals. Third one is timeliness. So I don't care if you have deadlines, or but do you deliver results when they're still valuable enough? Valuable. Um, okay. Adaptability, which is the adaptability of both the system of work and your product to changes, whether you ask for the changes or not. Okay. Consistency, which is to what extent is the system consistent about doing all of this stuff? So you feed one more project in, another product, and then with this and that. Are things generally consistent? Mm -hmm. And the last one is cost efficiency. So to the extent that you achieve throughput outcomes and so on, are you being yeah. cost efficient about that? And the rating of this is super easy. You think about what would be a relevant ideal for us. Not the ideal that you read in the books, right? Okay. You don't need necessarily to deploy 50 times a day if you're in the insurance space. Okay? Right. What would be a reasonable, useful, relevant, ideal for you in terms of throughput, in terms of how well you achieve user outcomes, in terms of timeliness? And then you simply look at each of these aspects and you say, well, are we close enough to it that it's just not an issue? Are we far enough that it's like, always an issue. It keeps coming up in meetings. People are bothered by it. People keep getting on our case for it. And medium is like, it's neither near nor far. So for each okay. aspect, you say, are we near medium far with respect to our relevant ideal? That's it. So you could, I mean, I know you said there's no metrics, but I, I'm assuming we're going to have to come up with like a total at some point. You could score it like one to three. Yeah. So, you know, behind the scenes, it translates into one to three and there is some summing. So if you do it on the website, it will do this for you. The, the math is, you know, okay. <laughs> first grade. Like seriously, there is like and nothing. I'm assuming that if I am doing this with a team of executives, mm -hmm. that this is going to force the conversation where we have to come to agreement on some kind of sync with respect to our values 
not what is value, but values for what we're trying to achieve with the company. Yeah. Do we need to focus on throughput more than time? Yes. Or like, what's the, what is our strategic big thing that we're chasing? Exactly. And so this comes up in the conversation of what, what is the ideal, right? So, you know, the, um, customer service might say, well, we need to be super responsive. Um, yeah. where, where sales say, well, yeah, we do, but generally sales, you know, the sales cycle being what it is, we don't need a fresh version every day. It's not that critical. If we have one every yeah. week or two or three, that's totally good enough. Um, and engineering can then say, well, what is even possible? And maybe then we look at what we have in product and we say, well, um, do we even understand the market well enough to, to make those calls? Right. So there's all of this. Can, can we can, can we stay on that one for a second? Because yeah. this is something I've noticed. I mean, I agree with what you're saying, but I've also noticed it within myself when I'm planning stuff. When I set goals for myself that are aspirational, mm-hmm. I usually don't hit them. <laughs> like, you know, I'm not going to eat any sugar for the next three months, mm-hmm. or we're gonna we're gonna get rid of all of our technical debt. Yeah. Um, they sound nice but not realistic, right? And, and I think that's an important part of this too, right? You have to, like, if you, if you can walk around the block saying, I'm going to run six miles tomorrow, probably not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And that is why there is a big emphasis here on realistic. Okay. How do you know what's realistic? Uh, it turns out that people know, like all the people I've tested this with, they, they know. They know, and besides, if they do this with colleagues, two things will happen. One is, well, let me back up. I actually suggest that when you do this with your um, peers, let's say this is executives doing it, I say do it individually. Don't talk to each other until you've finished it. And then they compare notes. And I've seen cases where everything turns out. That's an interesting approach. Because it. You know, it's like planning poker, right? It it kind of floats our differences of opinion. I've seen cases where it came out practically the same. Like, you know, what engineering said and what product said and what so-and-so said came out to to be the same. And I've seen cases where it was like the exact opposites because they're just not seeing things the same way. Both of these are good, you know, good conversation. Just (laughs) being forced to face the fact that you're completely unaligned. Yeah. Is a really powerful thing. Yes. Now the other thing is this, you know, we again, like I was saying before, you know, we, we always kind of beat up on, on product development and they're not fast enough and they're not responsive enough and this and that, but but nobody ever says, well, how fast do they need to be that would make sense for yeah. the company? How responsive do they need to be that would make really sense fast? Them? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And everybody's doing continuous delivery, so I guess we should too. Right. So anyway, um, you, you rate these six aspects. Seriously, I've seen people do this in two minutes. Okay. The longest I've seen this take, um, and it's usually with people who are like super intellectual, it was ten minutes. Okay, so it's not it's not an incredible it's not a big time suck using this tool. Not at all. And again, you don't need metrics. I don't need you to know what the industry standard is, what the industry ideal right, is. Because it's all relative. Yes. Yep. Yes. So, for instance, if you know you deliver useful working software frequently enough that it's never an issue 
it doesn't come up in mm-hmm. meetings, whether it's weekly or twice a month or even every two months. I don't care. If nobody makes an issue of it, you write it as a near because you're a near, you're ideal, it's good enough. Is it perfect? doesn't need to be. Yeah. It's near. But if it's something that keeps coming up, why are you guys always late? Why are you guys always late? And so on and so forth. That's the far. Right? Okay. So then, again, there, there's this, like, seriously, fairly trivial algorithm that, or formula that translates this into the five levels. And, okay. and the five levels are interesting because um, really what we're measuring here is fitness for purpose. The purpose of product development is to help the company meet its objectives. How fit is it to do that? Right. And I okay. don't care for your lead time or cycle time or all the metrics. It's like, again, is it a problem or is it not? Uh, like, is it a big problem or not? And at those five levels, um, you know, th- there are different problems that the system creates for the company and there are different risks to its continuous performance. And therefore, there are also different strategies for leveling okay. up. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. Uh, last year, like literally 12 months ago, I started working with a company. Uh, it's a tech company inside of a bigger, uh, well-known ecosystem, which I can't name. But the company itself was like about uh, almost entirely, you know, product and engineering and design and such. And it's about 50 okay. people. Um, when when we did that for them, this type of assessment, they came out as a like, you know, early level two. Okay. So what do you do at the level two to kind of, you know, level up? Is, well, what is level two first before we talk about leveling up? So, again, the levels are in a, in a way relative. Level two means that you're, you know, kind of early on or kind of kind of low fitness for purpose, meaning that how you help the company achieve its objectives is not great. Okay. Um, generally, a level two system, you know, they they help the company achieve objectives, but not effectively enough, not efficiently enough. Okay. You know, things are always a struggle and it's very easy to get knocked off course. This is actually what I typically see in, um, kind of rigid agile implementations. Okay. Okay. Or agile implementations that are not really doing well. People kind of go through the motions that tends to correspond to a level two if they do agile. Okay. Okay. Yep. So, what we worked on initially was to uh, really kind of um, stabilize the system. They were they had a zillion priorities and a million plans, and everything was done on a six month cadence, which mm-hmm. is not unreasonable in their field. Okay. Um, decision rights were all over the place, so you you never knew who to uh, you know what to act on. Sure. So we worked on that. Over time, they, they, they went higher. So, so we did the assessment every few months, and you could see the, the, the ratings kind of improve over time. So when they got to level three, now there was more room to talk about collaboration. And I can tell you, I did try to get the teams to collaborate more in level two. That just did not stick. And it didn't stick okay. because, again, decision rights were not um, – decision-making was just not organized. Not clear. Yeah. Okay. So how can you collaborate with someone else when you both answer to different people on <laughs> different days? You hear different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so level three was definitely, you know, let's do more work on collaboration. Let's do more work on reducing the six months to 
222. Okay. Um, so they still have, you know, big official releases every six months, but the releases every two months are not just bug fixes. They're like real feature sure. releases. Uh, okay. Teams are gradually getting more involved in planning, which again, you know, from an agile standpoint, that's like bread and butter, but at the previous levels, it made no sense. Teams were in planning and they didn't participate. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it's not just helping you pick your battles. It's helping you find what battles you should be looking towards in the future. Yes. So it got to the okay. point where now, and we did the assessment a month ago, they're now at level four out of five. And that's driven by them. Totally them by them. the choice to move to the next step. Yes, okay. totally by them. If you look at the company now, um, and they've <clears> hired <throat> the bits since, um, people are happy. They are productive. The meetings are not all great yet but they're producing good stuff. When the big company ecosystem did the engagement survey and you know they have a really good survey of you know what are the problems and what are the issues and what does your management think about you and this and that, they came out as the only company in their ecosystem that was all green. Okay. And with, you so, know, all scores are north of 90%. I'm assuming then that there is a perception within the organization at the team level that positive change is happening. Absolutely. Because and I'm, I, I have a client right now who over the past 10 years, I've seen maybe seven years, um, a massive effort on the management side to try to adapt the way that they're working as well. But it's not, the, the, at the team level, they're not aware of it. So mm -hmm. they still talk about how like, oh, nothing changes here. Mm -hmm. da, 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 da. I'm like, I've seen, I see change. Mm -hmm. You don't see change. Like, cause you're too close to it, but I come in every two months and I see yeah. massive improvements. Um, creating that feeling of momentum is a really big part of supporting a change. Absolutely. And that is why, you know, across the five levels, how you lead is super important. And, you know, again, if your operating model is the, you know, the empowered, agile collaborative one then you lead one way if your model is more of you know we need to knock out projects then you need you lead some more differently that's fine sure. but you still need to lead the people right these okay. are still people who do the work and kind of go at it voluntarily and hopefully they <laughs> they actually do okay so can you the thing that i'm wondering about and i know we've got to wrap up pretty soon but um can you connect like i understand that this tool is helping you figure out where to aim in terms of improving mm -hmm. the way we go about producing things mm -hmm. whatever services products whatever yeah. but we started out talking about product and how in product there are so many different battles you can choose from how does this connect back to that and you producing like the right thing at the right time for the right customer so if you look at everything that's suggested here, it is systemic. So for instance, when I say stabilize uh, the system, which is, you know, uh, stabilize supply and demand, product can yeah. demand all they want. What okay. actually comes out, you know, the other end? Well, yeah. is it the stuff with the best ROI? Is it the stuff that um, engages the user is the best? All of this, we, we need people across the value stream to to contribute to okay right so 
This is not to say, you know, you should do design thinking or you should not. That's not at all the point. It, you might say yes or no for different reasons. But the point is, if we don't control our um, system to, to, the, to the point where what we think we should do actually comes out and gets delivered, yeah. then it doesn't matter what improvements we make in product. What's really interesting to me that you just said about, since you mentioned design thinking, is is I'm, I'm seeing this as a way of exploring the problem set that we have in the same way that you would do that in design thinking, mm -hmm. rather than locking it on like, this is the thing to fix. Like, let's look at it through all these different lenses, yeah. figure out which lens looks the dirtiest to us <laughs> and clean that lens. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, <laughs> And, and sometimes what we need to fix up will be, you know, kind of downstream, and sometimes it will uh -huh. be upstream. Okay. So the tool is called Square. Yes. And they can get to it at 3pvantage.com under the resources tab. Or directly 3pvantage.com slash square. E okay. Either one works. Even better. Yeah. Even better. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, it's totally free, self-serve. Um, okay. Yeah, and and it doesn't keep any data. This is all you know, private. I don't know who uses it. Um, okay. It will become more public once, <laughs> once I actually write the book. <laughs> okay, this is the beginning of the new book. Now, it's a backbone. What if yeah. people, in the meantime, want to get in touch with you with follow-up questions? What's the best way to reach you? Uh, you, they can contact me through the site or connect with me on LinkedIn and say, well, we heard you talk with Dave. Uh, let's uh, continue the conversation. You want more? Yeah. 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 All right. By all means. Cool. So I'm going to make sure there's links to your LinkedIn page and to the site. Mm -hmm. um, and thank you. This is a really cool tool. All right. It's like for people to use it. Um, yeah, and if anybody's got comments, leave them in the show notes. If you got questions for Gil or you want to hear about more of this stuff, let me know and we'll set up another one. Okay. Well, thank you for having me. Cool. This must be interview, yeah. what, four, Thanks. five? I don't know. Usually we do them in the summer. It's been a while, but yes, it's good to talk to you. <laughs>